0: Hello and welcome to Deprogrammed on Unsafe Space with Carter and Carrie. Uh, we are glad you're joining us today. If it's your first time, Deprogrammed is a show that we do where we uh, touch on, sometimes explore uh, my old belief system and um, today we're very excited to have a guest who I got to be on his show recently, so I'm so happy he can join us today. Um, his name is Obaid Omer. He's the host of Dangerous, the Dangerous Speech Podcast, where he explores first principles and how we came about them in conversations with academics, authors, journalists, and activists. Obaid was born in India, and his family moved to Canada when he was six years old. His work has taken him to war zones and disaster areas where he has seen firsthand what sectarian violence can do to a country and people. He is a proponent of enlightenment values and free speech. And you guys can find Obeid on Twitter at Obeid Omer. It's O-B-A-I-D-O-M-E-R. And you can find his podcast on iTunes or uh, SoundCloud or YouTube, it's called Dangerous Speech. And we'll put a link in the comments, Obeid. But welcome.
1: Thanks. Hey, Carter, hey, Carrie, thanks a lot for having me on. And, uh, Hi, Carter.
0: Welcome.
2: Thanks for coming. Uh,
1: and yeah, Carrie, i got to say you're, you're doing your bit to you know, help the patriarchy and internalizing your misogyny, allowing me to mansplain to you again, so you know, thanks a
0: lot. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I brought you on to do some mansplaining. Although didn't we figure out last time uh, in this whole the hierarchy of my old belief system, I don't know which of us is more marginalized. I have the lady points. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah I, I don't know i just it's it's so insane uh, yeah it, it's going to be hard to like think about that all the time and just you know like doing those calculations it just it, it's going to drive me crazy
2: I don't if think that's- is the right word i think they're just it's just you know they're running a, a sort algorithm on some uh yeah you know, they got a list of attributes and they're just kind of yeah sort of sorting them constantly but there's not really any thought that's happening um but that's a separate yeah. issue yeah. Uh, so, you know, I know Carrie knows about you a little bit because uh, she was on your show But I'd just love to hear in your own words a little bit about your background and how you came to be doing dangerous speech and and What's going on?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, you know, as Carrie mentioned like I, I My family moved to Canada from India when I was six I my, We can get into this later, but like Islam in India when my family moved here is a lot different than Islam in India and South Asia right now. Um, it was a lot more laid back. Um, so they weren't really fundamentalist or anything like that. Um, they were pretty open. By the time I got to like about 16 or so, just hearing about science and then, you know, learning about the religion, it's like, yeah, these two things don't match up. And science won out and that was that. Uh
0: What do you mean by that? So you you became, I know you said you were, uh, the show Cosmos was really meaningful to you.
1: Okay, okay, like I was always a curious kid. So Cosmos comes on and Sagan didn't give you facts. He talked about the scientific method he talked about curiosity. And he talked about weighing evidence. And I was right around the time I was starting, I guess sixth grade or seventh grade. Uh, So it fit in and then we started learning stuff about science. The first thing I learned that year was our sun's gonna burn up in five billion years, and I come home and ask my parents about that, as opposed to the day of judgment, and my parents are humming and hawing. And well, that's the same thing. And I just, I'm like, well, no, it just doesn't match. And just other things like that, like uh, you know, the moon cracking in half, but there's no record of the moon cracking in half that you know, you'd hear about. Learning about basics of evolution, uh, just learning about basics of light and like how old the universe was and things like that. And, uh, you know, new evidence comes along, you can prove things and, you know, like Muhammad going from Mecca to Jerusalem, and then to the moon on a flying donkey with the face of a man. And the fact that he has to catch a connection in Jerusalem, you know, it's a little hard to believe.
2: I
0: don't know this story. Whatever <laughs> it is you're talking about, I'm sorry. I'm totally ignorant. Okay.
2: okay. I kind it's of love thing. it. I don't know it either. But this sounds okay. awesome. It's a thing called the night journey,
1: and some people are now saying that it's it was a dream. Or I don't know how you know like where that debate comes in from. But apparently, he flew up to the moon, and he like I said, he had to go. It's on a thing called a borak, which is various descriptions, but basically it's a winged donkey. Some people say that as a face of a man, some people don't. Some people say it's been drawn with a peacock tail, whatever. I mean, the details don't really matter there. But yeah, he goes from Mecca to Jerusalem, and then from Jerusalem to the moon. On the moon, he meets all the old prophets, and, um, and then uh, God wants Muslims to pray 50 times a day, and then he goes back and forth, and he's speaking to the old prophets, and finally talks God down to five times a day. Um, but yeah, so that, that was a story. And so, I mean, like, <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I just, I can't believe that. Like, you know, like, I it just... No,
2: uh, I like that he it. talked him down. How about just, look, God, 50 is a little bit much.
1: But, but again, uh, that was also, like, I think it was the old prophets. Like, I can't remember if it was, uh, Moses or Abraham telling him, no, no, they won't accept that. You got to go back and ask for less. Because, um, I mean, also, if you, if you I mean, uh, Judaism and, like, Catholicism, especially, like, if you look at the Old Testament... Abraham before Sodom and Gomorrah get destroyed he tries to convince God like if okay if there's you know yes.
2: 100 hundred
1: hundred good people if there's you know how many good people do you need not to yes. destroy the you know, Yeah so yeah so like so this I whole say, thing was talking him down I mean I, I I can't I can't remember if it was Abraham or if it was Moses but yeah so yeah, that's the story I just, yeah.
0: I just want to I just want to clarify I'm laughing for anyone watching who is Muslim and does believe this story I don't um I'm laughing just because you're reminding me of. So I'm a pretty new Christian. And sometimes when I got excited about Bible stories and when I tell them, they sound ridiculous <laughs> the way that I tell them. <laughs> and so it just makes me laugh. Like the telling of the story even is funny to me. But And I've never heard this one. So it sounds uh like a fantastical story. I like it. <laughs> yeah. I, think think it?
2: It's, uh, I think that there's a contention for like I think this is in, in competition with the Zinu story I talked about yesterday. This is a good one
0: yeah Yeah. so you were so you were raised muslim and then you became or would you say you identify i hate that word identify it are you an atheist do you believe in god
1: i i don't believe in any kind of um supernatural you know i don't believe in any of that um there's no evidence for it you know sure like i if evidence came out something i'd have i i want to follow the evidence so like more than anything in that sense, I guess I'm, you know, like being an empiricist. I, I don't even want, you know, like I don't want to say agnostic or this and that, but I'll give it that very, very minute chance that if evidence exists, sure. Cause I can't know 100% yes or no. But yeah, I act as if there is no, nothing out there. That's that's um,
0: I relate to
2: that.
0: Yeah. Carter, I was going to say Carter probably relates to that. So then tell us a little bit about your, what, what, your work because one thing that was interesting to me in the way in our previous conversation was how you talked about um, your job necessarily took you I guess a little bit away from the online world.
1: I saw an ad in a newspaper saying would you like to work in Bosnia you know working for the military I applied I got the job I went to Bosnia from there the same company I was contracted with uh, do you want to go to Afghanistan now and so yeah, I ended up doing that for about 13 years off late. Um,
0: and so when you came back, what what is it that led you to start the podcast? Like, what was it that you noticed? or? Okay. Yeah,
1: so War Zones, uh, social media. Well, was, okay, in 2002, I don't even know if MySpace or Friendster was around.
0: Um,
1: but social media wasn't a thing on military basis. And when it did become a thing and I could use it off the base or so when I'm going on holidays and stuff... Um, I would use it to connect with friends and that was it and i wasn't paying attention to all the insanity and i don't think in the early days there was much insanity but i come back and like i left afghanistan in 2013 in december i got back to montreal march of 2014 i did i bummed around northern france for a little bit um and anyway so then i look at everything and it's uh, especially with the Islam thing, like the, the, you know, the Ben Affleck thing, famous uh, Ben Affleck, you know, famously with uh, Sam Harris, like gross and racist. Uh, I think it was in two 2000- thousand. Uh,
0: wait, so for anybody who doesn't know that clip, it was it was Ben Affleck was on Bill Bill Maher's show, right? Correct? With yeah. Sam Harris?
1: Yeah. And then and Sam Harris and Bill and Bill Maher were talking about Islam, and Sam Harris was actually laying it out fairly well and fairly reasonably, and and whatever, Batman went crazy.
0: Yeah. <laughs> i do remember i see i it's been a while since i've seen it but i do remember being a little shocked because it sounded like it sounded like ben affleck had probably just recently become friends with some woke people and was just repeating he just started calling sam harrison is islamophobic or something
1: well he said gro- that's gross yeah. and racist i mean oh okay. gross and racist okay but i mean even just other little things like um you know, just seeing it online and uh seeing Ayaan Hersi Ali get attacked for being, you know, the, the term Islamophobia was was becoming rampant. And I'm like, what the hell is this? And, you know, I, she's being called she's being called a racist. And I'm like, I'm like, in what world is Ayaan Hersi Ali a racist? Uh, so I, I started seeing stuff like this, and I wasn't sure what was going on. And, I mean, there, there was so much stuff going on all at that same time. If you look in from, like, 2014 to 2016, um you had uh, at Mizzou, the journalism teacher who ended up getting fired, which is, you know, whatever, you can get into that, but she called for people to beat up a student journalist who was covering a protest at that university, and she's a journalism professor. Then there was a thing at Yale with the Christakis. Um, Yeah. Then, um, you know, Middlebury. Then there was Evergreen. Then there was, uh, you know, Charlottesville, then there was Berkeley, then you know, like one thing after another. And I found myself defending people I despise. Like, I found myself defending, defending Milo. Like, the first time I heard Milo talk was some talk he gave Christina Hoff Summer and Steven Crowder. And I was like, eh, it's kind of funny. I think whatever, this guy's being an ass, but it's kind of funny. And then the shtick got old because it's all it was. Um, but I found myself defending Linda Sarsor because she's being. Uh, Stopped from coming into Canada at one point. I'm like, no. And, and she's an absolutely horrendous human being as far as I'm concerned. Um, mm. And it just, like, the majority of it was coming from, uh you want to call it the left? It was the left. Uh,
0: my you know, side, my old side. Yeah. The SGW side.
1: There, there was some coming from the right and there's more coming from the right now. Um, you can start seeing it and it's uh, just like an overcorrection. But yeah, so like, for me, the dangerous speech thing was it just. Okay, first of all, the, the title is kind of tongue-in-cheek, and that's why if, uh, a friend of mine drew the picture. It's just two rabbits fighting because it's the speech is not that dangerous, and it's about as you know dangerous as two rabbits fighting, like water tipped down, you <laughs> know, set aside. But uh, you know, like, yeah, it's 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 nonsense, and it's okay. I, I don't I don't I don't claim to be an arbiter of uh, reason or anything like that. I try to be, but. You know, immigration. There is a conversation to be had on immigration about limits and what should be allowed and what shouldn't, what limits should be put in, how do we vet these people, and this conversation should be had calmly without, you know, calling people, you know, bigots and racists and Nazis, or oh, you know, you're just trying to wipe uh, like white replacement or white genocide or whatever, like, like that stuff we can let them scream and whatever but they can sit at the kitty table and we can sit down like adults and that's all i really try i'm trying to do i don't know if i'm succeeding or not
2: when you when you say that you're a proponent of enlightenment values um, what does that mean to you and how is the behavior that you're seeing here not in line with enlightenment values
1: okay uh, enlightenment values so when i talk about enlightenment values i am looking more at well Okay, so Locke, Payne, Milton, Mill, Voltaire. Uh, that's what I'm looking at. Um, the rights of the individual. Uh, so you, free speech, first and foremost, and free speech from the way Milton and Mill described it. I think the English um, the English arguments for free speech are the best. I think the U.S. gets it right as far as laws go, but I think the best arguments come from the English side, um, and you know, a lot of people forget it. Hitchens was really good on this. The, yeah. yes, the, the right to speak is very important, but the most important part of that debate is my right to choose what I wish to take in for myself. You denying me the right to ingest what I want, that is the greater offense in the free speech argument, as far as I can tell. Like uh, Milton's work, *Areopagitica*, he says to give me the liberty to know, to utter and to argue, according to conscience above all other liberties. The first thing he puts is the liberty to know, because if you don't know, your utterance and your argumentation is garbage. Um, So like to me, that's that's the first thing. Then, you know, practice whatever religion you want. Don't force it down my throat. Um, You know, your religion should not deny other people their rights my rights, like my freedom to not have religion should not deny the way you practice your faith unless your faith is, you know, I'll give you an, uh, you know, an absurd example, like human sacrifice, right? Like, I don't think anyone's going to tolerate that. Um, and an example of this is where it's going the wrong way and it's over correction is there's a law in Quebec recently called bill law 21. So, uh, certain government officials were not allowed to wear religious symbols. The way this law evolved was first, it was all government employees. So that would mean someone in like a DMV or something like that. Um, Why? Yep. And then they said, okay, we're going to try it out only with Muslims. Um, And then there was an issue because there's a pretty large crucifix in one of the council rooms in the the provincial legislature and they weren't going to remove it because they said that's not part of... uh, secularism. In French they call it laïcité. Uh, And then they passed the law again but then they said okay it's only going to be for teachers and nurses and this and that. And okay I despise, now I I can't get on the side of the people who are opposed to this law even though I am because they're screeching and they're yelling and Uh, arguing the wrong thing. It's all about racism, it's all about the hijab. And there can be a case made that that's what it was for. But My thing was no freedom was gained after this pa- law was passed people lost liberties and if you're saying that a government official and a teacher is wearing any re- so like a crucifix a star of david a yarmulke a sikh turban uh, a hijab obviously i don't know about jewish uh, i don't know if there'd be like orthodox jewish teachers in public schools wearing the scheidel or however it's pronounced the wig that the uh, they wear sometimes um like, i don't know and so but if you're saying that is going to cause your child to become religion X, or you know it's it's an infringement, it's a government pushing something, you've got a really rough case here. And I'm like I said, it's it, this this law is anti Enlightenment. You are taking away the freedoms. The government is there is there should be a separation of church and state, and that separation should go both ways. The church should not go in and tell this. I mean, the state should not go in and tell the church how to operate. and it it shouldn't dictate how people practice their faith and
0: it it also i i'm going to interrupt for a second because my mind naturally goes to where does that end because how do they define religion i mean you and i have talked about and carter and i talk about a lot uh my old ideology sgw ideology i think of it as a religion people it it works as a religion in their lives so who's to say you know I know it's a joke, but like blue hair, blue hair is very common among SJWs. Who's to say you can't have blue hair now if you're a teacher because that's a sign of, that's an extreme example, but I'm just saying, where does that stop? There's any number of symbols or physical things you could wear that that would align you with a certain belief system. See, I brought that
1: up too. So like this was done because in the name of protecting the feelings of those people who aren't religious or if you're Jewish and you see a, a Muslim woman, or if you're Muslim and you see a Jewish person, whatever, Yeah, you know, I, 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 I don't know the convoluted logic behind it, like, oh, we want to promote secularism, right, I'll yes. Now, if I'm a religious person, and the person that my teacher, or my child's teacher is wearing um, an AIDS ribbon, you know, and I'm a devout Christian, ortho, uh, conservative Jew, Orthodox Jew, uh, devout Muslim, homosexuality is against my, you know, totally against my creed. That is, you know, that is a punishment by God on homosexuals. I don't like that. Take that pin off. Like, like, again, then you have to do this. This is a right-wing version of doing that matrix of who is more oppressed. Do we give them religious rights? Do we give, and it's, it's authoritarian. It's against the laws of the Enlightenment. So, like, like I said, when it comes down to Enlightenment, it, it comes down to basic individual freedoms. It's, you know, the state should be there to protect your rights, and obviously protect your liberty. So, like you know, you incarcerate murderers, and it's again, you know, you can look at it as sort of as a social construct uh, contract where we agree to give everyone these rights, and we abide by that. If we take it away, then we agree to have our rights curtailed. You know, for it shouldn't be for retribution; it should be for rehabilitation. But I mean, it's a whole other conversation. <laughs>
2: Well, you said something um before that I think is a, um I, I mean i've seen I've seen people lose this concept has been lost, it seems like in in culture for decades now at least, which is this idea that um, rights shouldn't infringe on other people's rights. and you you see the word rights being used to mean a lot of things that actually aren't what would be classically called um, rights from an Enlightenment perspective. And so there's like this right to not be offended or the right to feel a certain way. Right. And those things in, in inherently infringe upon other people's rights. And I think part of the issue is that we're not very we're very sloppy with what we call rights. And we're not very diligent about protecting people's uh, actual rights. Regardless of how that makes other people feel or impacts them in any way or anything like that
1: uh, but Okay, but I think part of the issue now too is um, and I, I shouldn't speak with too much authority. I've got friends who are teachers and stuff. Uh, I you know I, I'm not in the school system in Canada I don't have kids whatever. but there's a lack of some of like the old Civic style classes and I hear that as well from some teachers in the states and some people in the states like they've gotten rid of the old civics classes now then they I shouldn't say prattle on about rights because rights are important. But, like, a very major important part of any democracy is yes, the government will protect your rights, but citizens should remember that they have obligations. Like, you're, and again, this should not, you know, this should not be vigilantism, this should not be like the, the, the social justice stuff or whatever the right wing version of it, but you're obliged to have some civic duty. I mean, like just stupid little things like you're walking down the road and you see a bunch of dirt. Like, you know, like I'm talking about every single cigarette butt, but you see like a, you know, like someone threw a bag and it's there in the garbage can right there, throw it in the garbage can. You know, walking down the road or whatever, you're driving down the road, you see a branch on the road, get it out of the way. Like just citizens have responsibilities and, you know, whether it's just voting or, you know, being informed about what's going on uh, like, so that should be pushed as well and it's not like a, a love of the state and you worship the state and this but it's pride in where you are Pride, you know the, if you want those rights and you think they're a good thing you know you have some responsibility to try to keep them up and uphold them i, I don't know how else to put it but-
2: no, I, I get it. I think I think partly we we've kind of run into the tragedy of the commons in in some respect. Like when you have small communities, um, you can have people enforce things um, through social pressure a lot more. So if you're the guy who litters or doesn't bother to pick up the trash or or whatever it is, um, your community can ostracize you in some way or kind of give you some social pressure to be a good member of the community and looking out for each other but you know when you get beyond a community uh that's relatively small actually where, where people know each other um you end up with this this kind of anonymity where people they naturally people are kind of naturally lazy often and can get away with what they'll whatever they'll get away with and so you get you end up with people getting away with whatever they can and it's very difficult to police that and if you've got a city of five million people it's very difficult to police that kind of stuff um in any formal way you really need social pressure in order to do that
1: but again it shouldn't be about policing and it shouldn't be about like indoctrinating kids in school or anything like that but at the same time if you when you're talking like i said when you're giving a civics class you're talking about rights that you can have a discussion about what the obligations of a citizen are and so if kids talk about that and you know that discussion goes on no one has to watch you do it you you shouldn't want you know oh yeah I picked up a, a bag of garbage I should get a prize for it like it, they sh- it shouldn't it should just be okay you know what I don't want my neighborhood to look like a pigsty so and like you know like I said I, I'm not perfect at this I you know I like I, I walk down the street and I'll flick a cigarette butt <laughs> you know like I'm an, I, a little bit of a hypocrite here. But, like, like I said, it, but those kind of things... But you
0: also will pick up a cigarette butt once in a while.
1: Yeah, okay, yeah, like I said, I'll, I'll pick stuff up and whatever. But, it, it, yeah. that, That's just. But you know, like I said, we should I think all try to think more of, yes, we have rights that the government is meant to protect, not to give us. We shouldn't think of them as given to us by the government. Um, they're, they're just there to protect it. But we should do something on our own end, too, like to improve our law... Yeah, I kind of want
2: to push back on that a little bit, because as a guy who's a small government guy who sees our rights being violated uh, just more severely over the last several decades, every year they get worse and worse. It's hard to motivate me to uh, contribute back to some society that's basically intent on taking my rights away and driving me into authoritarianism.
1: Okay, there's a different story. Now, I'm talking about if this was. Now, we can get into the argument of like how much that, you know, how m- how many rights have been taken away. And I, I do believe in Canada and in the United States that a lot of civil liberties have been lost, um, you know, especially since 9-11 and you can go back, you know, like in the U.S., go back to the Patriot and all that. And there's been certain things here in Canada as well. Uh, I have no issue with that. But we still have a lot more rights and we're a lot freer. You know certain things have been scaled back we, we still have the right to talk about those things and try to bring try to you know curtail like try to push back the government any ground they like any ground we lost on our rights we, we can try to take them back like organizations from like uh fire are doing it uh you know freedom from religious foundation is doing certain things on like you know like they're doing it more on a religious front fire is doing it on the free speech front so
2: there is. Well, and that's fact. what we do as part of our yeah. show is yeah. partly so, that.
1: So, but again, that I believe is part of the obligation. Okay. So let's take something like burning the flag, right? Yep. I, you know, whatever. I fully believe that if you believe in the first amendment, someone has a right to burn the flag as a protest. Now, my question yeah. to the person burning it is why are you burning it? What are you protesting? I, I, I can see two major reasons. One is, America is a horrible place, it's disgusting, I want it all to burn to the ground, the flag is a symbol of America, I want to burn it to the ground, fine. I may disagree with your reasoning, but at least your protest matches your reasoning. If, on the other hand, your reasoning is America was once a great country, it stood for a lot of beautiful things, the Constitution is amazing, but now it's been overrun by whatever commies or bigots or fascists or whatever you want to say it's been overrun by, and they are ruining the flag, the flag doesn't stand for what it is anymore, I'm going to burn the flag down. Again, I may agree with your argument, but in this case, I disagree with your protest. Because if you believe that the flag stood for something at one point, I mean, you believe that you know America, the Constitution, everything stood for something good, but now it's being overrun by X, and you don't want to you know you don't want to associate with that symbol. Have the courage to take that symbol back for what it means. Like it's the wrong yes. protest.
2: That makes sense to me. And and I agree you're with that. Th- you're saying you should be defending yeah this th- and, these and, okay. values yeah. yeah
1: yeah exactly and i mean uh again i'm probably really bad at this and i Joe, you, know, you know hypocrisy writ large but i think we should spend more time defending what we want to defend instead of like like the the you know like the woke stuff the sjw stuff that is a constant attack even the red pilled crap though, though you know on the right side it, it's a constant going for attack you know what this is what i like this is what i'm going to uphold this is what i'm going to defend come at me I'll defend myself there's too much shit out there to go looking for stuff I mean you know I know there's people who are very focused like friends of mine who are focused on fighting enforced um, to job and that's that's good great you're doing something that's awesome and I get it but they're also at the same time doing it in the defense of human rights right and I'm saying there should be some of it at least at one point saying you know we're gonna hold the flag here you guys go fight the good fight, we'll hold the flag. And if you're not going to do anything else, at the very least, just defend the rights you want to uphold.
2: Do you think people even understand what that means, though? I mean, this is kind of what I was getting at before with the word rights. Like, I don't, you know, you have, I imagine, a pretty solid grasp of what individual rights and liberties are. You've read a lot of Enlightenment thinkers. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think the average person, at least in America, maybe it's different in Canada, but I think the average person in the U.S. Um, doesn't, you know, write a, a right is what Bernie Sanders talks about. You have a right to free college or you have a right to health care. Like there's no distinction between that and free speech. And even for something like free speech, you're seeing, well, you have the right to free speech unless the yeah, words okay. are someone else has a right to not be offended. And like it. Do you think they even understand enough to, to do what you're asking oh. of them?
1: Okay, so let's change the word rights uh, to first principles and um, now this is again something I've been playing around this with this for like a little over a year because I was getting and like the way I would talk about free speech and where you hear a lot of people talk about free speech like so free speech individual freedoms you know like freedom of religion assembly like all those things, like practice you know like the freedom to live your life according to how you want to live it like let's just call those first principles and then you can i think you can, there's two ways to look at them i used to say you know and a lot of people say free speech is the foundation of all other rights like you know you know like we build it on the bedrock of free speech but, and you're talking about like a solid enough something that's solid and rigid its foundation i think that's a wrong way to look at first principles i think there's two types of systems there's a foundational system where you have that rigid foundation that will never change. You build your structure around it. Once that structure is built up, you think those are your rights and those are your laws, you're forgetting your first principles until it cracks and gets damaged. I think the way we should look at our first principles is think of it like a garden um, and your first principles are the earth and whatever you put in there, nutrients, everything, and then all the other rights spring up. So uh, right to free education let's just say if you want to discuss that that's something you plant and it grows if it mixes well with everything else and it succeeds it's a plant if it starts killing stuff off it doesn't it's a weed you take it out but
0: oh that's a really cool analogy but the underneath
1: like but the underneath of it the dirt and the ground it's not like a foundation of a house where you forget about it. If you don't take care of it, if you don't water it, if you don't add nutrients when you need it, if you don't make sure that there's nothing in one side that's killing it out, you're always aware of what those first principles are. So maybe change, like, I think maybe have a con like, Sam Harris a few years ago said, you know, we talked about the narrative narrative. So any narrative, like a narrative around any given narrative, I think maybe we have a conversation conversation, a conversation about how we want to have these conversations, uh, do it with yourself try to like figure out what you think your first principles are, where you come from and use that as the lens. You'll look at how you solve issues. And for myself, I want to use, you know, empiricism. I want to use reason and logic and scientific method and discourse and the dialectic. And if you want to use something else, that's fine, but let's, let's work like, you know, I want to know where you're coming from because we might not be able to have a conversation that I don't know.
2: Well, so, but you said something earlier, you, uh, I don't think you used the phrase natural rights, but you implied natural rights. You said very clearly, these rights don't come from the government. They're protected by the government. I assume you're making a natural rights argument when you, when you say that, no?
1: Yeah. Okay. That's okay. And it's, and it's not like, okay, these rights are given to us, um, by our creator. I I think if you look back um, David Deutsch described it as pockets of enlightenment. So if you look back at like these little little pockets, and they built on one on off each other. I mean, like if you go back to the Greeks, they obviously they had slaves, and there was uh, you know, only certain people were allowed to vote and speak and all that. But that, those thoughts came out. So these, I think that if we allow ourselves to think freely, and if we allow ourselves to talk freely, that these rights will naturally come out because reasonable people are going to find that this is the best way that we can all get along. Well, I mean, unless you want to do like, you know, okay, you can try to push for an authoritarian system, but then be ready for the only, what Rawls called the veil of ignorance, because once that system comes in, you know, Robespierre wasn't too happy with what happened after the French Revolution, right? (laughs) <laughs> you know, like you don't know.
2: So Heads will I, roll, I, is your
1: point? Yeah, but so I'm thinking, like if if you, so like you had the Greeks, and the, you know you can go back, and you had the, the, the first Islamic uh, Golden Age. I don't like that name. Uh, then you look at the Mithrazalites a little bit later, uh, the Enlightenment, you know, and then you can find other periods throughout history, where these, for a little bit of time, these kind of thoughts came out. And I think these kind of thoughts naturally come out when open, free exchange of ideas can happen and then we start realizing that this is the best way to go. So it, it, I, I, I'm not saying that they were put here by a creator. I'm not, I'm not saying
2: that... Well, I'm an atheist. I'm not trying to tell you yeah. you're saying that they're put here yeah, by a creator. Yeah. But natural yeah, but rights like, no, doesn't I mean, mean creator rights. Yeah. Right? But, but yeah, but, but like, I
1: think I think those rights... If there's no discussion, if, if we don't talk about it, if we don't do anything else about it, if we just let ourselves run wild and with no introspection, no nothing and just, you know, let our baser instincts take hold, I don't think those rights will come about. But if we can actually take the time to sit and discuss and work it out, I think those rights will naturally come about. I don't know, maybe I'm optimistic. I have no
2: idea, yeah. i'm not, I'm not I'm having a little bit of trouble following because the way that I maybe it's just the way uh, a problem with how I'm thinking about it. But like I view it as like, uh, I, obviously, we need to sit down and discuss things and and ascertain what rights are proper. But this is a philosophical question, right? This is the field of ethics and, and philosophy. And so the question is like, which rights are supported? I also, by the way, reason and evidence. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'll take, I'll take reason and evidence where they lead me, right? So, uh, you know, I think making an argument that there are um, better ways to be thinking about things than other ways. For example, reason and evidence gets you farther than hopes and dreams. Um, then, if that's your method. You know, I think we've hammered out, like, Enlightenment thinkers and pre-Enlightenment thinkers have hammered out some of the basic ideas of human rights and some of the things that are necessary for um, survival of man qua man. So I think it, it seems like that's actually not work that hasn't been done to a large part. I mean, there's always more to be done there and there's always nuances and stuff like that. But it seems like the... I guess what I'm getting at is, you know, we're, we're talking about we're talking about this word rights, and I and I hear you saying that first principles is really how you would rather think about it, but um, it things like for me things like free education are very clear. You don't have to like plan it and wait to see how it interacts. It's very clearly undermines the concept of personal, like. Ownership and private property like which is a, a fundamentally like you own yourself you own the product of your own labor you own who you Or like these are enlightenment ideas. And so uh, Free education doesn't there's no being in the sky giving things away from free So it means you got to take it from someone else and taking something from someone else is a violation of the rights It's like it's not that complicated. Why okay. is it seeming very complicated during this discussion? I guess is my question
1: I think free education as opposed to free speech. I think they are two separate things, right? I think yes. free yeah, free education so like when I talked about like having like a free principal, like free education would be, okay, up to now, we've had to pay for college, right? Yep. All right. So if someone wants to come in, cause we're not talking, you're not talking about K through 12, you're talking post-secondary because K through 12, you can go to public school, you can get an education, right?
2: Well, you can, but there's an argument to be made that okay, 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 that also okay. shouldn't be paid for. So okay, we can talk okay, about okay, either one.
1: Okay. But like right now, K through 12, is free like we're not talking about making that free right like in the states you're not talking about making k-12 free no well, at the, mo- at, at, at the moment like at, like at the moment there's a k-12 public system in the states right yes okay so at the moment anyone talking about free free education is only talking about post-secondary
2: uh except for people like me who are saying let's get rid of free education for k-12 but okay
1: okay but okay The majority, right? I mean, like, you know. Yeah, I got it. Bernie, Elizabeth Warren, the conversation is about free
2: college. I totally agree with you. Got it. Yep.
1: Fine. Now, that is not a first principle. That is something like if you have all those other first principles now, then then you can come into, okay, are you, you taking my taxes? Is that attacking my individual rights? Blah, 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 blah. You can, you know, if you have those first principles set up, you can then have a system set up where you can talk about this, right? This a free education, I do not consider a first principle. Free education would be something like that grows out of the ground of those first principles, okay? The first principles set up the system so you can talk about it. Whereas if it's an authoritarian system, they come in and say, sorry, you're doing this. If you don't, the tax collectors are coming to your door with, you know, henchmen and axes. Like that's the foundational system. I'm saying, and that's their first principles.
0: I like the analogy of the garden because what he's saying it it allows people to engage in thought experiments and have conversations with people who do believe something like mm-hmm. I believe in you know somebody who believes in free college. Uh, you can talk with them about it in this way, and if you both agree on the same uh, what what Obade calling first principles, and that and you have the same earth, right? Then you can see does this this thing that we want to grow in it does it. I like your analogy to a weed. It's mm-hmm. going to kill other things or is it actually going to grow here? And I think that would help them see, well, some things are, well, that's actually going to kill some other things or it might, or, you know, it, it, it's just sort of helps them. I think helps people engage in a thought experiment better.
2: It makes sense where right? you're talking about that. What we, Karen and I have talked about, uh, like the. People need to understand kind of the values upon which Western civilization was built as their foundation. And then you have conversations after that about what to do with that. Yeah, that makes sense.
0: Well, I like in the analogy, too, that you're you're uh, you're contrasting the you're saying, think of it like a garden, not like a foundation of a house, which is interesting to me, because a lot of times I've been thinking about belief systems like a house. And for example, I raised my house to the ground and had to start building a new one. But if you think of it like a garden, like you're saying, I liked your point about um, how you need to water it and attend to it. And that that resonates with me because it, it makes me think of the way I've started to think about um, just other things like spiritual growth or, um, empathy, growing empathy, how it's not something you do once. It's like going to the gym. You have to attend to it. You can't just go to the gym once and be fit. You have to practice empathy all, all the time. You're not just like, oh, I was empathetic once, and now I'm an empathetic person. No, you have to like, it's an exercise. It's like watering your garden. You have to water it. You have to, and I never really thought of first principles as something you have to attend to, but that makes sense. They probably are. And now I'm thinking about what a bad gardener I am in real life. And how <laughs> I, I need to get better, so I can get better at uh, at my uh, philosophical garden.
1: Okay, uh, <laughs> the, the free speech arg- the free speech argument in the states, right? Um, so people kept thinking of it as a law. Oh well, you know, the government can't attack my speech. The government can't attack my speech. But now it's gotten to the point where I keep hearing it. Well, that's a private company. It's not the government. They can do what they want. Yes, they can, but you know, Google is our store of information, right? Um, And Google should decide whether they're going to be librarians or landlords, if they're going to be like, and they should be librarians, as far as I'm concerned, if they're going to be landlords, give us a clear lease and apply it equally across the board. But if you think about it, as only laws. Oh, it's not the government doing it. It's, oh, it's just Google. It's just Facebook. It's just Twitter. Right? We should think of it not as a law, but as a principle. Like that law is based on the principles that were written about by Milton and Mill and Voltaire and Payne and Locke. And, you know, the law is great, but live your life and companies should live you know, especially media companies, they should live according to that principle. And this, oh, well, it's a private company. They can do what they want. It's not the law. I think that therein lies the issue with the laws. Like, you have the laws in Europe where uh, Holocaust denial laws. I and mean, you look at the law in France, and, you know, they just knocked down the blasphemy law in Ireland. I mean, it's, so when you, when you have these laws, like the Holocaust denial laws, people forget really what happened because, oh, well, it happened because we know it happened because the law tells us to. We have free speech because we have it because the law tells us. And if enough people don't like free speech, the law can be changed.
2: Yeah. And and something you're getting at that I think is super important, it, it's a passion of mine, is this idea that like, um, there's a difference between what legally we would support and what we would support kind of morally and in society. And so like, I would argue that, I don't know if you would agree with this, but I would argue like, yes, Google may have rights to do things that I don't like from it. Rights in quotes, like legally they can do X, Y, and Z. But Mm -hmm. as a society, we should push back on them doing X, Y, and Z if X, Y, and Z is against what I would consider enlightenment values. We should This should be something that is... Frowned upon, they should be pressure put back on them. It, everything doesn't have to come through a law. Um, yeah, we can we can monitor our own environment and use other means. Uh, that voting with your dollars, ostracism, argumentation, all that stuff can be used to push back on something that could be technically legal, and it can maybe should remain technically legal.
1: Okay, but I agree with all that, and I agree that you you have the right to do all that, but sometimes that leads to Macy's pulling some plates that are really stupid that, you know, no one should have bought anyways because they weren't even that funny, but someone got pissed off because it was fat shaming and it caused eating disorders, so Macy's-
0: Wait,
2: what? Yeah, so uh, I get that, but, oh, sorry, Carrie, do you not know the story?
0: No, what's this example?
1: Okay, Macy's put out these really stupid plates, I think it was last Christmas or just before Somewhere In the center it said, skinny jeans, in the middle it said, regular genes on the outside circle like fat <laughs> jeans or mom jeans some blue check mark I, on twitter complained and i can already quote, see where this
0: is going yeah uh, eating <laughs>
1: disorders and fat jaming. okay so like the that that like yes ostracized whatever but like this google thing like though we have to start being braver for christ's sakes when the aclu puts out a warning about the fucking okay symbol right you know um <laughs> When I have to listen to why baby it's cold outside is rape culture, when you, you know, and, and like you know, Apu is fucking racist. Give me a
2: fucking break, I Jesus Christ, come on, you know. Well, the, but this this is the but this is the issue. Like, um, I, I'm gonna use the word police. I don't actually mean police. So I'm gonna be, I'm using it metaphorically. <clears throat> Society can only police. Uh, behavior that's in line with enlightenment first principles if society itself if the culture itself understands and supports first principles so if you're not teaching that stuff anywhere and no one understands any of those first principles that you're talking about then most people will be quiet and maybe you'll get some radical person who's upset about plates at at Macy's and that's what that's the only pressure Macy's feels when in a more we'll say educated or a society that's more in line with enlightened values fundamentally, kids would grow up being horrified at some of the things that Google does, and you would have entire generations of people pushing back on some of this behavior. But we just don't, because we're in a broken culture.
1: We have a dearth of information at our fingertips. We're getting dumber. We're, we're being algorithmed into ignorance, right? The algorithm is giving us what, what it thinks we want. Um, I don't know if kids are being taught properly how to do research like, you know, going to school, here's the card catalog in the library. You know, this is where the books are. You go to the reference section, you know what you're getting. You go to the fiction section, you know what you're getting, right? You go to science, you go to geography, you you know what you're getting. You go to Google, you put in a Google search. You know, uh, if I was doing a deep dive into the lunacies of Richard Spencer, and I did a Google search on something related to them, I'm going to get some horrific results, right? Yep. And I keep talking about this and it's, it's just a simple thing Google could do, right? You type in a search result into Google, like you, you go to the search page, you type in whatever you want to look up. It gives you back a page with tabs and you can figure out a common way of how to like categorize it. I say use a like the library of Congress catalog system, right? So then you have, you know, science, history, geography, fiction, uh, biographies, internet searches or whatever, right? And so if you're doing, if you're a kid doing a, a history project on the Civil War and you type in Civil War, you go to the history tab, you get all the history.
2: Well, but the yeah. issue with that is the, the history is also written by people with agendas, history in particular. So, I mean, really the right way to do history research is not to go to Howard Zim, but to go to first, you know, uh, original source material right which is very difficult to find there's just too much information on the internet right now and there's lots okay, of I don't know. you know
1: I, 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 sorry i give you that but that one little thing would make google so much better than it is now and if in tandem you you give like when you give people like you go to the card catalog at a library if you go to a big university library you're going to have you can maybe some of them will have the protocols of the elders of zion in there right maybe they will yep you can find that in there. It doesn't mean, and you could find it in a reference section because it is a reference to something that was put out. and is, you know, like, here's what it, this conspiracy was, blah, blah, blah. blah. You could find that in there.
2: But now so, you're asking Google to be the arbiter of what's fact and what's not fact. I, I'm
1: not asking them to do that. I'm saying if they, like, like I said, take the Library of Congress, right? If they use their classification system. and right, instead, But okay, someone you
2: know, has to decide what book gets classified by what, right?
1: Okay, but... I'm, okay, Google is using the US government's classification at this point, right? Now you can say, okay, do you, do you trust the US government or not, or whatever? But if in that sense, instead of Google going out and hiring diversity officers and all this BS, they went and hired librarians, you know, like, and maybe not from the library journal that said to go burn all the, the white cannon, um, but you know, if, if they actually went <laughs> right, and hired. not from Yale. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so if they hired actual librarians, then like. Libra- I don't know. <laughs> Okay. No, but
0: so, uh, yeah, yeah. I no, I, hear okay, I I'm not saying
1: this is perfect. Look, this is a yeah, yeah. little, little quick thing. I'm just saying, just making that division would be better, right?
0: I do agree. I like, I like, I like where you're going with this, and what you're, it's, you're thinking out loud, and yeah. um, and I, I, I agree that when you do a search result, it all comes, but it, it just everything, it's one big mass of things. But mm-hmm. and and they're already the Google employees are ranking things and so the search results you're getting are not even based on what's the most popular results you're not even getting the real popular you know they they are manipulating it based on ideology already so uh, well i uh, look
2: i'm not a fan of google uh and i agree there's a lot of problems but i i just need to push back on this entire idea like i think it's good that you get crappy information because ultimately what you need is a is to teach responsibility. And it's like, you need to be responsible for vetting information yourself and, and finding it and relying on Google or the Library of Congress to tell you these are the facts, um, I think is a really dangerous, uh, potentially, you're opening the door to authoritarian thought police because that will absolutely happen. It already happens on Wikipedia, um, okay, uh, but, so. But
1: I, no, I, okay. I'm sorry, but empirically it doesn't. The way, like... What do you mean? Mill, Milton, Locke, Payne, um, even like, take Rousseau, who was anti-enlightenment, take all these writers. They got it through books. They studied in universities, in libraries, where the information was divided. You know, Bertrand Russell, uh, you know, Newton, uh, Einstein, Hawking, like... Sam Harris, Richard Dawkin, uh, Jonathan Routh, all these people that have studied and like the, the philosophers that have come up and the writings that have been done, they've gone through these systems where these library systems, they divided this information, they went and got that information. So if Google acts as a library, I mean, like we, we already have that system where we're, we're letting, allowing someone to be the arbiter of what's there. Now, like I said, you can have a separate web section, like this could be for, okay, Here's for like, uh, you know, the American Journal of Medicine. You know, like, like books that have come out, books that have been published, everything like that. That could be one section. You can have one section for the web, which is blog posts and videos and whatever people have done. You can sift through that if you want. But if you want actual, like at one point or other, I mean, yes, we're going to have to put some faith in something. But we've already had this system where like, you know. Quantum physics, that is allowing us to talk like this, came out of that system where the information was vetted in that way.
2: It's well, yeah, but the work. difference is, the difference is, and and by the way, I'm not saying that there's no like value in in some future version of internet search where information is is categorized and vetted in some way by various entities. Um, I like absolutely, there's an information overwhelm, but I I guess my I guess my point is, um, look that the. the The fact that, first of all, the fact that that's the way everyone did it in the past is that's because there was no internet. So like you could say like, of course, of course, Einstein did it that way because that was the only way to do it. Um, Books would only get published through, uh, I mean, there was kind of, especially in the technical field, there's a semi peer review um, kind of expertise vetting system. Even just to get a book published, libraries would buy Presumably libraries from universities at some point would try and buy the books that were the most informative and the most accurate and not buy you know If I write some stupid pamphlet, Cambridge isn't gonna carry it in their library mm-hmm. in, in 1902, right? That's not gonna happen mm-hmm. um, Whereas now if I write a pamphlet and put it online you can get it from Cambridge's <laughs> library while you're sitting on, on a computer So mm-hmm. I, I get that I don't I don't I'm not opposed to to that um, I guess I was just pushing back on the idea of like google being the company to do this and okay and I, I, and, I, and like that that bothers I, 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 me i don't can want
1: I? google to be it sorry i I don't want google to be it but we they're what we've got right now so until we can come up with a better system let's try to optimize it as much as we can
2: do you think wikipedia is an attempt to do that because i kind of view that as a an attempt to sort of do that
1: but i mean it's it's like reading the encyclopedia britannica as opposed to reading um you know the rise and fall of the Third Reich.
2: Like, well, but but Wikipedia would source the rise and fall of the Third Reich as it probably uh, is. yeah. So does the
1: Encyclopedia Britannica, but you know then you have to go read it, right? If you just rely, it, it's a good initial source to get other sources. That's the only way I put it.
0: Can I no? make a request that we move on, just a little bit?
2: Oh, yeah, well. this is fun, but probably <laughs> a tangent, so we here, should here. move on. Yes,
0: yeah. I would like to ask you about. Um, uh, I know you're not, not an expert and you're not a scholar in this area, but uh, I just thought you had some good insights and you definitely have more knowledge than I do about Islam. And I had a question to pose to you that Carter and I have talked about before a couple times, which is, why do you see, uh, coming from someone who's who who's a former Muslim and I'm a former SJW, why do you think those two ideologies make like such strange bedfellows at times. Why are they united uh, uh, on some things?
1: This stuff now, like the current, and it's not Marxist Where with like this SJW stuff, like critical theory, like intersectionality and all that, If part of like the post-colonial theory, it, it focuses on white oppression, it focuses on someone else causing the problems. All the apologism for Islam, well, I shouldn't say all, the majority of it, if you go back, Oh, the first wars that Islam fought, they, they were wars of defense because they were attacked. Yes, Muhammad was attacked because he led raiding parties onto merchant trains and, you know, the, the governments got pissed off and attacked his bandits. So, yes, they were defensive in that sense. Um, so it's always the fault of someone else. So I think that plays a part of it. Um, uh, Meaning,
0: you're saying you're all the wars were, were the fault of someone else, so that aligns with SJW ideology which is about blaming the blaming someone else you're
1: like, the, yeah you're the victim it's I'm always the victim it's never my fault it was always an external thing that you know that that brought me down I I, I like there's a similarity there I think um okay take a, I'll give you two different examples of Muslim women who are using this stuff right now there's Mona el and there's Linda Sarsour Mona is an Egyptian woman, I believe she lives in Australia now, I could be wrong about that, but she was recently on Australian television, and they took the clip off where she's like, yo, if you go low, I'll go even lower, Um, you know, fuck the patriarchy, fuck white men, uh, fuck civility, because civility is a term used by white men, blah, 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 just completely off the deep end, right, like you're not bringing anyone to your cause with that, I'm sorry. You know, like you're only preaching to the choir and you're not helping anyone at all. Lynn Sarsour, she's preached for Sharia. Sharia she, uh, she, you know, she took over the Women's March. If I can find the article, yeah. I'll, set, I'll send it to you, like how she actually took that over. I mean, she was on the board. Tamika Mallory was on the board. I think they've both been taken off. There was one person who was taken off right away, and she was convicted for terrorism in Israel. Uh, You know, Linda Sarsour is called, uh, I think it was her, it was either her or Tamika Mallory, who called Louis Farrakhan the greatest of all time. Um, It was Linda Sarsour. Yeah, okay. I mean, she's just horrible people, but they speak in the language. Okay, Linda, I don't, she's she's clever, but I don't say she's, like, hyper-intelligent, like, if you get what I mean, like she's I not get dumb, but so she can, she can gain this. Like any of this stuff is easy to be gamed. Like if you just say the right things in the right tone at the right time, you're, you're in. So she talks about privilege and she talks about being oppressed and she talks about being marginalized, blah, 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 blah. She plays up on that, you know, and she, she speaks that language. And like I said, to for some Muslims, it gives them that. Oh, here's our her victim. Uh, so Mona Latawe does it that way. Linda's doing it. As far as I can tell, she's doing it to leverage to get some power. If Bernie gets in, I would hate to see. You know, you know, I dread Bernie getting in and Linda sitting at the table. Like I really do. Um, and
0: she's d- 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 also the d- one who said, uh-huh. "I just want to for anybody listening who's mm-hmm. not aware." Uh, she first came on my radar when uh, you m- you mentioned. Ayan Hirsi Ali earlier. And she, Sarsour first came on my radar because she was attacking uh, Ali and saying that uh, her vagina should be taken away. And she was saying that about a woman who was the victim of female genital mutilation. Um, And she was saying it in this way. uh, I think it had two meanings. One meaning was just that she was saying, you don't deserve to be a woman which is, it's, it's like, uh, th- this is part of my old ideology, which is they, they claim to be all about these quote unquote marginalized groups. But if you're a member of a margin, one of these marginalized groups and you don't speak their ideology, they hate you. And so she was basically saying, I on here, Lee doesn't speak our ideology. She doesn't deserve to be called a woman. And, but the other thing she was doing there, I think she did know. I think, she, I think she's the type of personality type who knew oh, actually, what she was saying is, about the about her uh female general emulation i think she knew that that uh that uh, it would be interpreted that way as well yeah
1: okay i mean she she directed that at ian hirschioli and bridget gabrielle and bridget gabrielle whatever Mm. she she's like uh she's from i think she's from lebanon i can't remember if she's ex-muslim or she's an ex-christian or still a christian but she's like the candace owens of the middle east like she lives in america but she's like a middle eastern candace owens um but yeah, she, uh, Sarsour said, like, these people aren't real women, I, I want to take their vaginas yeah. away or something like that. Yeah, she, I mean, okay. She won an award for fighting anti-Semitism, which is really funny. And if you, like, if I could find the video, I'll send it to you. In the last two minutes of her acceptance speech, she talked about how the lies through the Jewish media were smearing her. And she, <laughs> she's winning an award for fighting anti-Semitism.
2: <laughs> I mean, do you, do you think... Look, as someone who's a, a self-proclaimed proponent of Enlightenment values, do you think part of it is just a common enemy? Where you've got um, is in in radical Islam and social justice. They just both want the destruction of, uh, of of Enlightenment values, and they both imagine that their values will be the replacement values.
1: Um, I think with the Lindesfarne types, I think their goal is to have these people as useful idiots. And then once, you know, like with Iran, like the Ayatollahs sided with the communists. Once the revolution happened, the Ayatollahs consolidated power and the communists were kicked out. I think that's the way, again, I have no definitive proof. It's just my feeling. You know, a group like CARE, that's their ultimate goal. Side with these people, get a foothold into power, establish ourselves, and then take over. Uh, so, exactly. so that
2: explains why those groups side with the social yeah. justice warriors. Why do the social justice warriors? Uh, uh, I I don't know because okay they
1: see Islam as a marginalized group okay because yeah uh, so Islam they can't okay I I I'm a horrible writer so it's just a virtue signal uh, I don't even think it's a virtue signal I I just it, it's just part of their that's the way like you said, they, they don't even think. It's just your know, program. Like you know they they follow protocol and that's where the protocol kicks in. And I like I wrote at one point that they can't see the victims for the brown people. And that's exactly what it is.
2: You know, earlier before we started the show, you I I was asking about um whether there was a possibility of a reformation in Islam and you corrected me about reformation generally. Um uh, but I'm gonna kinda pose the same question so you can kind of give the audience this answer. Um, And and that was like, you know, with with Christianity, we kind of have a milder version of Christianity. A lot of people think of that as having gone through the Reformation. Um, And the question is like, can Islam go through a Reformation that uh, makes everyday Islamic practice more compatible with Western culture?
1: Okay, Reformation, no. Right, and even the like I was, we had mentioned before, the Christian Reformation. Like people think it was, oh well, Martin Luther went and nailed those whatever it was it 99 grievances to the wall of the cathedral, and you know everything was like all peace and sunshine afterwards. So, no, it's Martin Luther was not asking for relaxation of the church rules. Right, he was was asking for relaxation. He was asking to get away from the yoke of the Catholic Church. He was asking to get away from the yoke of all that tradition. He wanted to go back to a more fundamental like wanted to go back to the original text and the original books and forget the priesthood and the, and you know get it we'll do it, do it with the trinity and I, I can't remember like how many took out a couple of books and merged a couple together and you know his, like his bible was slightly different
2: so there was all that there was, there he was, was more like, fundamentalist yeah, though in, yeah. in modern terms yeah. yeah
1: and i mean you know he wanted to burn serfs <laughs> he wasn't kind to jews you know he was not a nice person and so christianity lost its power because of Okay, the reformation was an attack from the inside then you had the enlightenment you had science growing up you had things coming out so uh oh in in england i mean you had the church of england coming up so that was another attack on the church uh you know all these things got christianity to start denuding its power islam has never had anything like that islam uh the reformation that happened in islam the the, the most latest one if you want to call it that was the Wabbist, which is going back again to the original text, uh reintroducing this thing called Bidda, which is there's no um there's no innovation in the faith, and a lot of it means to like there's no innovation whatsoever. Um But if you want to look at Islam today and like what's going on right now and let's say like from like the middle of the twentieth century to now, um Islam was pretty static. Like, nothing was really changing. There was not much innovation because of colonialism. Like, you had the Ottomans until World War One, Then Europe was in North Africa and in the Gulf. And it was only until oil exploration, which I guess was about the middle of the 20th century, that it really started going, um, that more and more people started coming in. So, newer and newer ideas came in. So, like, you know, like Dubai was not built until, like, the 50s or the 60s. Right. Uh, Jeddah and Riyadh were not really built up until the 50s or the 60s. It was was just all oil money and stuff coming in uh, and new ideas coming in. So you you could see the Middle East opening up a little bit. A lot of it was um, enforced secularism. Like, so these were dictators that were put in, like I said, it was going on during the Cold War, so you had influence by the Soviets, you had influence by the British, the French, the Americans. Um, So 79 was a really, again, this is my interpretation how I think on this, 79 was a very very important year, Uh, you had two major things happen, you had the uh, the Islamic revolt in Iran, and then in August or November of 79, in Mecca, uh, in Saudi Arabia, Mecca was uh, during the Hajj, terrorists took over Mecca, now Saudi Arabia tried to contain that like the news for a while, Uh, but they had to end up making agreements with the mullahs, and then the mullahs called these people back. And then the mullahs gained more power. Now, in 79, when Iran had the Islamic revolution, in 1980, they started spreading um, a radicalized version of Shia Islam and their version of Shiaism. And they started putting money into it because Iran was—they hadn't had sanctions fully yet, I don't think, at that point. And they started putting their stuff out, and there was going to Shia centers around the world. Um, and then there was the Iran-Iraq war. Saudi clerics, to counter that, uh, were... Pushing the government, the Saudi government, to put out uh, Salafi Wahhabist Islam because that's what was being practiced in Saudi Arabia. That's where these, that's what these clerics wanted. And so Saudi started spreading money in India, in and Pakistan, and Bangladesh, um, Indonesia, the uh, Malaysia, parts of the Philippines. Um, this money started funneling in in '70 because of everything that happened in '79 led up to all this stuff going out and you're seeing hardening in those countries and it's weird in the Middle East uh, you're seeing more and more people pushing back you're seeing the citizenry pushing back against the orthodoxy and they don't want any of it whereas in Pakistan in Bangladesh in Indonesia the citizenry has been brainwashed enough in the last 20 years that they want more of it and it's, it's weird because both of this is because of increased information. Like in the eighties, better satellite communications, better, you know, more things easier to get them now with the internet. In the Middle East, they're getting stuff from the internet and they're looking for stuff from freedom, but these countries were already starting to get tougher. And there wasn't a lot of investment in Pakistan, there was not a lot not a lot of investment in Bangladesh, there was no reason for people to go there. There's a reason for people to go to the Middle East. So you had like Bell and you know, like oil companies or whatever going in and new ideas coming in more and more. Um, if you look at what happened in the Arab Spring, you look at, uh, like we were talking about an organization earlier, Ideas Beyond Borders, where they translate books into science and, and philosophy into Arabic, Farsi, and Kurdish, and they make them available for free. They put out a call for translators. In the first day, they got 15,000 people in the region wanting to translate them because there's such a hunger for these books. Wow. wow. Uh, in Pakistan in 2017, a clerical error, okay, there's a sect of Islam called Ahmadis. Ahmadis, think of them sort of like the Mormons of Islam. There's a clause in Pakistani government, um, and I, I think for a lot of oaths of office, like even like it's for teachers and stuff like that, where you have to say Muhammad's the last prophet. This is to stop Ahmadis from becoming, uh, getting any kind of power, right? So some clerical error at the end of 2017, I believe it's 2017, uh, took that part out of the oath and on a perceived relaxation by the government the the population went crazy and started rioting. so it was a population stopping the government from relaxing even though the government wasn't whereas in the <laughs> middle east it's the population it, it's a grassroots push to get you know what we call western values or enlightened values they want those there they're 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 hungering for them um yeah so Islam is a really strange thing like right now.
2: Certainly, I think there's not a lot of transparency into a lot of these Muslim nations, so it's not clear from the West always what's happening um, and what's compatible with Western values and what isn't. Um, uh,
1: The three things, if you really want to get an understanding, is the Quran, the Sirah, and the Hadith. Uh, The Quran, obviously, it's the book. The Sirah is the life of the Prophet. You can find one. um, It's either Ibn... Hisham, or Ibn um, Hisham, because one wrote it and then it got lost and only notes survived, and then the second guy wrote it, built up on his notes. So I can't remember which one wrote which. And then the hadith are the sayings and the doings of the Prophet. Uh, What are considered the most accurate hadith are the Bukhari, but then there's also two other set. Oh, there's one set of hadith that apparently are the Angel Gabriel's hadith, so those are absolutely uh, authentic. And I mean, the hadith you can have rulings from. I think, I don't know if this is the Quran or the Hadith, but if a fly dips a wing in your drink, catch the fly and dip the other wing in it because one wing will have the poison and the other will have the antidote. Um, <laughs> so you have you know, pieces of Some wisdom. Some
2: important like stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but I mean, okay, uh, the people who are just pure Quranists without the Hadith, you don't really have the instructions of how to
2: pray. I, I guess my fundamental question is, is Islam, uh, I, I hear... People in the West say that some people in the West say that Islam is both a religion and a political ideology, kind of mixed in one, in a way that uh, other religions like Christianity aren't. Would you agree with that assessment, or is that not okay. accurate? It,
1: Christianity gave itself an out with you know, "render unto Caesar's that which is Caesar's and render unto God that which is God's." It right. gave itself that out. Islam has nothing like that. From the start, um, it was you push Islam on the people it was spread by the sword some people accepted it and took it in instead of being conquered you know um, if you converted to Islam you couldn't be taken a slave so some people decided I'd convert not be a slave you know? um, there's there's that uh, but Islam in and of itself was it is It is a wholly totalitarian system. Um, And that's where the Sufi thing comes in. Now, like right now, Sufis are thought of to be as mystics, blah, 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 blah. The whole point of Sufism is do not study anything except for within the love of Islam. Do not study anything except for the glorification of Islam. You know, all things are for the glory of it. And someone like I mentioned to you before, Kerry al-Lazali, is a Sufi, took it that far and, you know, he curtailed the the study of science. and so, that the, in and of itself, if you just read the book, I don't think you could say this is um, a political system. But once you read that book, like if you read critical theory, it talks about how to do, how to have racism. But if you take a political system and you say, this book is how we build our political system then that system is infused with critical theory. And it's going to be an awful thing. It's the same thing with with Islam, I think, like if you have Islam as a religion, and you say, this is how we should live our life. And I think that's where it came down was, you know, this has to spread, this has to go to everyone. So we will live our lives according to these tenets. So then it became the political system where Sharia is a set of laws built on Islam. Right. And so there is no way to separate the two at this point. Like I said, with Christianity you could do it; you ha- it gave itself an out. Islam didn't. So you have to you have to change the way people think about it, and you have to change their thought patterns so that, like what they're talking about, what the youth are talking about in the Middle East now, like a civil society where they can build a society of rules and laws that aren't built on the rules that come out of a 1400 year old book right
0: i wanted to just remind people where they can find your work though find your podcast
1: um okay if you go on soundcloud just look for dangerous speech same thing on itunes youtube it's just my name um or if you follow me on twitter obeyed omer uh don't expect anything brilliant on twitter it's just me being a smart ass and that's about it
0: isn't that what twitter's for
1: (laughs) <laughs> yeah, pretty much, I guess. Yeah, but yeah, I, I put out when I put out my podcast, or otherwise I make smarty comments, and that's it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's Ovaid over O B A I D O M E R. If you yep. guys want to find him on Twitter.
2: Yeah, and we'll put all that stuff in the show notes. We'll put yep. your Twitter handle and um, your podcast information all in the show notes. So, um, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks a lot. It was great. Have a good day.
0: Thanks. So much. Have a nice day. Thanks for coming on.